0: text this morning is a short one, but I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open on your laps because we're going to do just a little bit of flipping today. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 13. And it says this, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Lord, we bow to you this morning and we bow to your sovereignty over your universe, over your created order, which you spun into existence and sustain moment by moment by the word of your power. We bow to your sovereignty in our lives. That's the harder thing because our lives sometimes go in ways we wouldn't have wanted them to go if it had been up to us. So please, Lord, help us to bow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, you may be wondering at the title to this sermon, The Crook in the Lot. This title actually comes from an old book by a man named Thomas Boston, who was a minister in the Church of Scotland in the southern area near the borders in the 1700s. And uh, he was a wonderful man, a wonderful theologian, a wonderful preacher. Uh, And uh, his uh, biography is in my office. It's worth reading. And this is the title of a book that he wrote, The Crook and the Lot. Now, that's not talking about criminals outside of rulings trying to get into your car. What he's talking about Is the crooked things that the Lord has made that no one can be made, that no one can make straight. Uh, Twice in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that what is crooked, no man can make straight. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 13, he specifically assigns the crooked things in life to the hand of God. Consider the work of God, he says. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now, we're not speaking here of branches that grow on trees that are bent and crooked. We're not concerned with winding rivers or winding roads. The crooked things that Solomon writes of here are the situations in life which we encounter that are unpleasant, and undesirable to us. They cut across our grain. They are uncomfortable. They are perhaps even painful. Sometimes these crooked things are with us from birth. Sometimes they fall upon us later in life. Sometimes they are a result of our sins, and sometimes they have nothing whatsoever to do with our sins. Sometimes they're the results of our folly and our bad decisions and Sometimes they seem to come in spite of our best wisdom and our best advice and our best decisions. The crooked things may come in the form of a bodily affliction or a weakness from birth, or they may arise later in life from injury or disease. The crooked things may come to you in the form of a lack of recognition or honor something that you deserve and you're not given, or it may be a reputation or a bad report that you don't deserve, you didn't earn it, but you can't seem to get rid of it. It may come in your family relations, an abusive parent, a spouse whose words and whose deeds are deeply hurtful and deeply injurious, children who rebel and go wayward in spite of your best efforts, or problematic in-laws who you just can't please. It may fall within the realm of your vocation. You do your best at, at your job, but success doesn't come. You work hard at your business, but your business fails. You seem chronically short of money, no matter how hard you work and how much you scrimp and save. Wherever it comes, when it comes, you feel it keenly. It hurts. It preoccupies your mind. You try to alter the situation. If you are a conscientious and a faithful Christian, you will only try to relieve your situation by what we might call lawful means or biblical means. In other words, you won't steal. You won't lie. You won't cheat. You won't break a vow. Sometimes, though, even Christian people will resort to unlawful means because they are so fixated on what is crooked that they will do almost anything to straighten it out. But these lawful efforts sometimes don't work. And the unlawful ones will end up making things worse. That's the promise of God. And why is that? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 13 tells us it is because the crooked things in our lives that we cannot fix have been put there by God. They have been put there by God. Whatever the immediate cause of the crooked thing may be, it might be a virus or a genetic mutation or a bad boss or a recession or a bad wife or a bad husband. The Bible asserts that ultimately it is God who is the unseen hand behind all the other immediate causes. Even the devil is God's devil. You go back and look at the first part of the book of Job, and the devil's clowning around the earth, going to and fro, looking for somebody to mess with, and then he goes up to heaven. And God says, hey, you notice Job down there? He's a pretty good guy. And the devil says, yeah, because you're protecting him. Let me at him. We'll see if he's still a good guy. And God has to give the devil permission to do what the devil does next. Whatever hurtful thing has been done to you by another person, consider what the Bible says in the book of Lamentations, And verses 37 and 38, Lamentations 3, rather, 37 and 38, listen to what God says here. Well, this is Jeremiah, actually. Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord also commanded it? Is it not from the Most High that good and bad come? That's a hard pill for some of you to swallow. That's the words of Scripture. And that's not the only place it says things like that. Consider what God has done, says Solomon. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? And the answer is no one can. This is the first great principle for living our lives well, right here, right now. As they actually are, not as we would prefer them to be. Whatever crooked thing there is in our lives, ultimately it is of God's making. God has done it. The second great principle that we can draw from this text is this, whatever God sees fit to mar, no one can mend except him. What God makes crooked no one can make straight except him understand once again that we're not talking about situations that you could get out of if your current job doesn't pay enough go and look for another job and if you find another job that pays more and that works for you in all the other ways take it and don't look back Don't sit around saying, God has ordained this low-paying job for me. If he offers you a way forward, go forward. The Bible doesn't advocate paralysis ever. Paul said pretty much the same thing in the New Testament, both to single people and to slaves. In 1 Corinthians 7, he said, if a slave could get his freedom, he should take advantage of the opportunity. And if not, he was to accept the situation as one of those crooked things in life and not worry too much about it. If the person wanted to get married and the opportunity was there, he should get married, says Paul. And if not, don't worry too much about it. He was to accept it as the crooked thing in his life. No, what we're speaking of here is the situation in which we cannot alter the course of events, no matter how hard we try. All of your best efforts are stymied, and you feel trapped. And the reason that you feel trapped is because you are trapped. I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible, to open to the book of Genesis in chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, this is kind of the middle of the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. I might, I might actually preach a series on Joseph's life here pretty soon. He was an amazing, amazing godly man. Joseph, uh, Genesis chapter 40 And you're picking up in the middle of the story of where Joseph's in prison because he refused to do wrong. He refused to sleep with the boss's wife, so to speak. And she told a lie about him, and he ended up in prison. And he's there, and he meets two officials of Pharaoh. They have dreams, and he interprets the dreams. Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse... 12. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Now listen to this. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, this prison, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Go forward to verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position. And he placed the, the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You hear the angst in the man's voice? When it goes good for you, please. Please mention me to Pharaoh. I haven't done anything wrong. I was stolen from my family, out of my homeland, and I get here and I've done nothing but good to the people that have done bad to me. And this is how I get rewarded for it. Please, please help me. And what did the guy do? He forgot him. Joseph's imprisonment wasn't deserved, it wasn't fair, it wasn't right certainly wasn't welcome. He wasn't able to alter it, even with his best efforts. And those of us who know the story from beginning to end know that God had ordained it. And nobody but God could fix it. And God had a time in which he was going to fix it that was significant. There were some things that needed to happen before God could fix it and put Joseph where he needed to be. And when Joseph was where he needed to be, he didn't just save the lives of a bunch of Egyptians. He saved the lives of his family. And from that family came our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've learned two great principles from this text. Number one, whatever crooked thing there is in our life is of God's making. God has, by his eternal decree, appointed your lot in life. He has ordained both the crooked and the straight. Point number two, what God sees fit to mar, no one can mend. And our attempts to remove the crooked thing will prove fruitless and perhaps even harmful if we're going to sin to try and do it. And here is our third and our final principle this morning, and it ties in all that we've just learned as we've heard other sermons, particularly on Philippians chapter 4, and the, the third great principle is this. Recognizing the crooked things in our lives as things that come from the hand of God is the biblical way of living out our lives in a peace-filled and God-honoring way. The crooked things in our lives should not fill us with despair. God's ways are mysterious. We don't often know why he does what he does. But here's what we do know. We do know that God is good. We do know that he treats us far better than we deserve. We do know that he is wise and powerful. We do know that he has promised to care for us and to give us all the resources that we need. And we do know that some of God's special favorites had great crooked patches in their lives. And it was no evidence Of their sin or their error at all. Abraham, for instance, was childless and was without a permanent home. When he took matters into his own hands, he made a mess of things. Instead of waiting for an Isaac, he made an Ishmael. And if you've ever looked over at what goes on in the Middle East, you know that we've been afflicted by the children of Ishmael ever since. Jacob's life, was very crooked. So was the life of Moses. Jeremiah, the mighty prophet, was ignored and persecuted simply for faithfully delivering God's message. John the Baptist was beheaded. All of the apostles, except the apostle John, were martyred. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself was despised and afflicted. Why is it that we expect a trouble-free life. Why is it that we whine? But God also delights to remove the afflictions and to straighten the crooked things in his time, in his will, in his way. And since God is the author of the crooked parts, we know where help can be found to straighten them out. And so how do we deal with the crooked things in our lives? The first thing we do is pray. And we pray persistently and we pray believingly. We do not grow weary in well-doing. We pray with this assurance. Child of God, either God will grant what you ask and remove the problem and He will make the crooked straight, or He will grant you such grace and power that you will walk and not grow weary and run and not grow faint, he will give you a supernatural ability to triumph in spite of your circumstances. So that's the first thing we do. We pray. You want know, to hear a stupid example from my life? I had all these food allergies that came on in adulthood, and for many of them, I can get anaphylactic reactions to them. And, uh, and, and you try and go to a restaurant where you can't have eggs, soy, milk, or nuts. You just try that. Find something to eat. Go to that nice Italian restaurant and find something to eat. Nothing. And it's been so limiting. I can't go over to people's houses because I'm afraid they're going to accidentally poison me. It happens all the time. They keep going, now you can't have gluten, right? I'm like, no, gluten's fine. I can't have that or that or that or that. You know, It's annoying. And I, I, one day in my desperation, I just cried out. Now, Obviously, I'm getting enough to eat, right? I mean, come on. I'm not going hungry. But I was like, God, could you please... Please, just give me back dairy. I think if I could just have dairy, that'd help a lot. And you know what God did? He gave me back dairy. I go to Cracker Barrel and eat biscuits and gravy, and I don't have any problem. And I thought, oh boy, maybe he's going to give me back eggs, because that'd be my second favorite. No, he didn't give me back eggs. Mm -mm. That was a mistake. But he gave me back there. I I just asked him. This this was a crooked thing. Don't know why it came upon me. It came upon me in adulthood. When I was a kid, I ate whatever I wanted to eat. Now as an adult, I have all these limitations. God, can you please just take one of them away? And he did. So we pray. And we pray with persistence. And we pray with patience. Here's here's my advice for you on prayer. And and this comes directly from the lips of Jesus. Jesus. If you've got something you want to win from God in prayer, you go to him and you keep going to him until such time as a yes is absolutely impossible. Just keep at it. That's what Jesus says. Jesus told this parable so that we would always pray and never give up. And then he tells the parable of the persistent widow. Always pray and never give up. What we want to do is, I prayed about it once, and I'm really mad at God, and I give up. Well, you have not because you asked not. All right. So pray. Number two, humble ourselves under the crooked thing. Humble ourselves under it. We recognize that God is the author of the crooked things because they come from the hand of our loving Father and our sovereign King, who by definition cannot wrong us. He cannot wrong us. Our appropriate response then is to kiss the rod that chastises us. We don't murmur. We don't rebel. We don't charge God with wrongdoing. Think of Job. Think of the the wonderful, Job was just a wonderful man, godly man. Think of Job. Listen to what he said in the midst of his affliction. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So humble ourselves under it. Thirdly, wait patiently upon the Lord. Wait patiently upon the Lord. Trust Him and wait patiently. There is nothing that is beyond His power, and there is nothing that He can't fix. You know, um, my wife and I have some friends, uh, Hexon and Terry, and Hexon is um, a Southern Baptist minister, um, and uh, he—he I met him first when he came to. Western South Dakota to take over a Baptist church in Spearfish and they didn't tell him when he took the job that the thing was about to implode. And he got there and he was there for about a month and the thing imploded and it just disintegrated and the church was no longer sustainable and it failed. In the midst of all this they were trying to have a child and it turned out that they were infertile. And so he's there in Western South Dakota. He's He's like, okay, I don't have the church I thought I was going to have, and I need to get a job. So he gets a job at this company that was called Premier Bank Card. It was one of their call centers, and uh, it was credit cards to people that have a dodgy credit record. So it was a lot of collections. And uh, so he he was doing pretty well there. He was able to earn his bread there, and uh, then that bank card company folded when Obama came into office and made several of the lending practices illegal. So they thought, all right, I'm going to try and and plant a church here in western South Dakota. That failed. They adopted a little girl right about the same time as we adopted one of our girls who turned out to have profound disabilities. Um, In the midst of all this, he was from Texas, and he was offered a position in his old church in Texas And he put it and said, absolutely, I'll take it. So he put his house up for sale and it sat on the market 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 so long that the church finally said, Hexen, it's obvious to us that you're being providentially hindered. We're going to go with another candidate and withdraw the offer for you to be our pastor. And at that point, he was done. He was just like. I'm done. I don't ever want to preach again. I don't want to, I don't want, I'm going to go be a school teacher. I'm going to move back to Texas where it's warm, and I'm going to go be a school teacher. So that's exactly what he did. He moved to Texas. He got his teaching certificate. I think he taught high school history. And, uh, and then in the middle of all that, he's asked to start a Bible study in his living room. And the Bible study turns into a church plant that turns into a church It turns into a fairly decent-sized church, and they've got some fairly wealthy people in it, and they're able to purchase a building and some property, and you think, oh, my goodness, And, and in the middle of all that, even, then all of a sudden, his wife got pregnant, and then she got pregnant again, and then she got pregnant again, right? And you think, wow, that's so wonderful. Well, it's been a rough summer for the Maldonado family, because the church that he planted just fired him. And you look at all that and you're like, God, what in the world are you doing? He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything to deserve to get fired. You think, what in the world are you doing? God, this is my friend. Please do good to my friend. God says, I will. But whatever I've made crooked, no one can make straight except for me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.